0: All right, good morning, everyone, and as we've been saying, this is our last Sunday in the Psalms, so we've been in the Psalms for a little bit of time, and so we see, especially we're going to come and look at Psalm 71, see some of the same themes repeated, but there's going to be one that's different from what we've seen from before, and it's a topic of getting old and being old, and I know for some of us when we hear about that, we reject that, we say that we're not old, we want to be young and beautiful and not only do we have that within our own selves to be desire to be young and beautiful, the world also calls us to do the same things as we invest so much time in desiring to be young and beautiful. And so we see that come through in desiring to put makeup, to do hair treatments where our hair reappears, <laughs> or we're trying to do different things like plastic surgery, or even one that when I first read it, I could not believe people do this, but people actually use bird feces for their skin. And that probably sounds disgusting, But it just tells us how much around us is this desire to be young and, quote, unquote, beautiful. And often what happens during that time is things that are old, things that have been longstanding for a good amount of time, are disregarded. And then a second fear that we normally have with getting old is the fear of being alone. That fear of being a burden upon somebody else. That fear of being helpless and also losing our mental capacities. So on one end of it, we have our fears in the world telling us everything is supposed to be about young and beautiful. But let's see, what does Scripture say? So we're going to have two verses. The first one is going to be from Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 29. So here in the Proverbs it says, The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. And so the Bible, as we see it, tells us there is splendor and beauty in gray hair, so we don't have to dye it. And so in the second one, or we just lose it like myself. And then the second one is going to be in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 3 and 4. So in Isaiah 46, verses 3 and 4, it says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he, into gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. And so we have on one end our fears, and we have on the other end what Scripture tells us. And that's the tension we're going to see as we're in Psalm 71. And especially in that last verse, we see that God is promising to never forsake his people, even to their old age when they are helpless, when they have their frailties, when their strength is spent. He is saying that he will not leave them. And so we're going to see in this psalm as the psalmist is, in one hand, crying out to God because he's in fear of the troubles around him, he feels like his strength is all spent, and all the other, end, praising God more and more. And so let us jump into Psalm 71, starting in verse 1. It says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge, to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress." Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent to, to many, but you are my strong refuge." My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace, may they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth, you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again, From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed. Who sought to do me hurt? Let us pray. Lord, there's so much here. And even as we're gonna see today, Lord, it is inexhaustible. That you are inexhaustible. We could go for days, spending all of eternity praising you for your wonderful deeds and how righteous you are. And so this morning, Lord, I ask that you minister to us. I ask that you give us the strength and the eyes to see you properly, to behold you as our God. And behold you as holy and righteous. Knowing that we deserve none of the good things you give us, but yet you still desire to give them to us. Knowing we don't deserve you, but yet you've held nothing back. And so we ask this morning that the praise of our heart may lift up to you. That as we go through this psalm and we see how the psalmist in his troubles, in his frailties, that his response is not falling away or stop praising, or stop seeking, or stop coming to you. But it's rather the opposite, that these troubles, these difficulties motivate him to come to you more and more and more. And so we ask that same things for our lives, Lord, that as we grow, as we grow older, as we spend much more time with you, Lord, that we can reflect upon our life and see that it has grown in praise, that we have seasons of difficulty, seasons of hardship, but we are growing in our desire to praise you, know you, and make you known to the generation behind us. So we lift all these things before you, and we praise you, and know you are going to work in our hearts this morning. It's in your name that I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So as I said from before, we're finishing up in Book 2 of the Psalms. And so Book 2 is from Chapter 42 through 72. And so we've been taking some selections through Book 2 of the Psalms. And so we come here to 71, and there is no author title at the beginning. This also has happened a couple times before this passage in chapters 9 and 10, 32 and 33, and also 42 and 43. And in each time the author is attributed by the first passage that came. And so we're going to do the same thing with this one of in Psalm 70, it tells us that it is David who is writing Psalm 70. And even for some of the Jews, they combine these Psalms. And so with that, we believe this to be from David. And we're also going to see in a moment how Psalm 31 reflects the same exact language that we're going to see in 71. As far as the circumstance and situation, it's speculated to be when Absalom revolts. So one of his sons comes to take over the throne, and essentially David has to flee, and this is in his older years. And so he's fleeing from his son who has taken over. But even if it's not that particular situation, we know for David this has happened to him many times in his life, many times when he's been persecuted, many times when his life has been in danger, and we see him calling out to God. And so the way that I've set it up is that from verses 1 through 4, it's going to be a plea. And it's going to be this rhythm of plea and praise. And then verses 5 through 8, there's going to be a praise. And then 9 through 13, again, a plea. And then we begin in 14 through 24. It's this beautiful, just praising God over and over and over again. And so because this is a much larger passage of 24 verses, we're not going to dig deep into every single verse. And so I encourage you, if there's anything that I go over that you do want to hear more about, grab me. There's much I would love to talk about this song, but it's a large passage, so we're not going to dig deep into every single verse. And so with that, let's get started in verses 1 through 3. So starting in verse 1, it says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. And so as I said from the beginning, that this is a theme that we've seen from before. This is actually identical to what you'll see in Psalm 31, verses 1 through 3. We see the the same exact beginning. We've seen David call God his rock, his refuge, and his rescuer throughout this book 2 of the Psalms. And so why does David keep calling God by these titles? And it's simple. It's because God is consistent, dependable, and able to protect him. And so because of this, David will continually come to him as he says in verse 3. Because he knows the one who he can put his hope in. He knows the one who keeps his security. And he knows the one who is going to save him. So David brings out this timeless principle of returning back to the well. Returning back to where you know you will find particular things. So let me give you a couple of examples. So one of them may be if you're having somebody over for dinner and you want to impress. We all have that go-to meal. Or if you're maybe not that skilled in the kitchen, you have that go-to restaurant. And so in different ways, we have these things that we return to when we desire to show people. What about more serious things? How about the times when you're going through hard times, when you're broken, and you need somebody to talk to? All of us have either had had. Or have that person who we go to we know can be a comfort, who can be an encouragement. And what about for the dry times in our spiritual walk? When we're struggling to believe, we're struggling to pray. There's many things in our life that God has given us that we can return to. Whether whether it's a book, whether it's a sermon, whether it's a place, whether it's a refreshing conversation. And so David is showing us this principle of returning back to where you know you can find these things. And so that's what he does, as we're going to see in verse four. So in verse four, he says, Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. So even though we don't know the exact situation, the principle does not change. David is crying out to God in this time of need because he has protected him in the past. He's returning back to God. And so David's example provokes a question also for us. And I know you're going to know the right answer right now but I want you to reflect more of in your past and you think back to. When you're going through these times of difficulty, when you're in these times of struggle, how do you respond? What do you turn to? Or who do you turn to? And as we reflect, we can see in our lives of, are we truly placing our trust in God? Do we really see him as our rock, as our refuge, as our rescuer? And So that's one of us to have more of a soul-searching question of thinking through when we're in these difficult times. What are you doing and who are you turning to? And so as we're going to see in the next four verses of why David returns to God, why he keeps coming to him in times of trouble. So we're going to start off out in verse 5 and 6. Starting verse 5, it says, For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. So we see David praising God for two things of being with him since his youth and from before he was born. And so starting off at verse 5, as we see him praising God for being with him since his youth. And this is an amazing blessing that God gives to some, that people can say that I've known God from my youth, that they can grow up knowing and following after Christ. But often this can be unappreciated. We can feel like if we don't have this amazing testimony, if we weren't at rock bottom, if we had to live a life long in world, in sin, that our testimonies are quote-unquote boring. But as we see as David is praising God for this, this is something that truly is amazing. I know I can speak for myself and many of the parents here. We would desperately pray that our children would know the Lord. This is an amazing blessing to be able to say he's known the Lord from his youth. And so in the second thing he talks about is that he's known the Lord some before he was born. He has leaned upon him. And so David is telling us, that God is the one who's cared for him. God is the one who cared for him in the womb, as we know in that famous psalm, as God has cared for him and knitted him and woven him in his mother's womb. And so in his recognition in these first two verses that God has been with him before he was born, during his youth, so why will he forsake him now? And so that is the basis for why he is praising him in these couple of verses. And so now let's continue into verses seven and verse eight. So in verse seven, it says, I have been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. So starting off with this word portent, it's a word that we do not really use, but essentially is a wonder sign of things to come. So we would use words like warning or omen or things along that nature. So an example of that would be, um, if you're superstitious and a black cat passes you, you would say that is a portent of bad luck or things to come. Or we'll look at the example of Job, where we see Job in his His friends are coming alongside and looking at the difficulties of his situation and they're attributing them to negativity, attributing to Job's sin. And also in chapter 31 of the Psalms, which we're going to turn to just a couple of pages back, um, verse 11 through 13, we see the same language of David calling out because of the same situation. So in Psalm 31, verses 11 through 13, so it says, because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. And so this is what David is saying here back in Psalm 71, is that people are saying that he has been forsaken because of what they see going on in his life. He is saying that God has forsaken him. But as he says, no, 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 God is still my strong refuge. God has not forsaken me. And the quite contrary, the opposite. God is the one protecting me and keeping me. And so that's what David is praising God for. And then he begins to descend back into pleading as we get back into verse 9. He says, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. This is one of the reasons why David is crying out to the Lord, is that he is in his time of old age. His strength is spent. He's frail, and he's needing God to be there with him. He's calling out for God to not forsake him. And there's something interesting that I was thinking about as I was going through this passage, of why is David calling this out? He knows the truth. He knows it. He's seen it, as he said before. God has been with him since his youth. And there's something that I believe David's doing here, but also that we do in our lives. We often portray our own insecurities onto God. If we've struggled with abandonment, if we've struggled with being forsaken, it's often hard to trust God that he won't forsake us. Or on the other end of it, if we look at our lives, we look at the issues, we look at the sin in our lives, we say, if I was God, I would have forsaken me. We wrestle between these two things and we project them onto God. But as we read from Psalm 41 and Psalm 46, thank God he is not like us, that he is so much different than us, that his love is steadfast, that he cares for his people, and that he does not forsake them in times of trouble. But he carries them, he loves them, he cherishes them, and he will save them. For us, as we get older, as we're in our old age of holding on to these promises, because life can hit us in so many different ways, that we feel like God has forsaken us. But in those struggles, as we did from the beginning, not allowing our fears in the world to tell us how we are to operate, but allowing God's truth and his word to be the one who dictates how we operate. And so trusting God that he will not forsake his people. And so upon this basis, he begins to appeal to God in verses 10 and 11. So in verse 10, he says, For my enemies speak concern to me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. Quickly in this passage just 10 and 11, his enemies conclude wrongly. They're looking at his situation and saying God has forsaken them and wrongly desire to pursue after him because of this. And it's similar, as I said, back with Job of his friends wrongly concluding based off of external circumstances of what God has done. And then David continues on in verses 12 and 13. He says, Oh, God, be not far from me. Oh, my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. Here again, David is pleading with God be not far from me. So that shows us that this threat is imminent, that it's close. He's crying out to the Lord in desperation. He's saying, make haste to help me. I don't know how long I can wait because if you forsake me, God, if you don't come through in this time, if you don't come through in this difficult situation, then I'm hopeless. So David rightly recognizes that if God were to forsake him, he would be hopeless. And this desperation that we see from him makes the shift into the next verse pop right off the page. And so let's look at the next verse in verse 14 as David responds. In verse 14, he says, but I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. And like I said at the beginning of David from here through the rest of this passage just begins to praise God. And if you've noticed, there's a word that just popped up again. That's the third time that it came here. So it's the word of continually. So starting back in verse 3, where he says he will come continually. In verse 6, he says he will praise continually. And now, in verse 14, he says he will hope continually. And so what David is saying, he's saying, you are the rock of refuge that I will come to continually, that I will hope continually, that I will praise continually. And he's setting his security, his joy and hope in God as a pattern of life. And I say pattern of life because, as he says, more and more. It's not just a one-time occasion. It's not that he just did it one time and he was good. But this is something he was going to do more and more. His praise of God was going to grow. It was going to continue to grow as he went through each experience with the Lord. And again, David's example provokes questions for us. As we look at our own lives and we see David praising God more and more, is our life also marked by this? Do we see ourselves Praising God, having the ability to thank God even for things that we would regard as simple. Do we take time to just adore God for being sovereign, for being gracious, for being just? And this is a part of the Christian walk, that we will grow in our praise of him. And often praising God can become neglected. Often we can only think of, God, what do I need? Give me this. I need this. I'm in difficulty. And though praise is primarily about obedience to the Lord. There's also a value for us in it. Something that praise does to us, it changes us. And the picture I thought of is is actually of taking a picture because praise is often like taking a picture. And so just imagine when you're trying to take that picture and you have the camera and you're trying to aim at whatever the object is. And the object is blurry until you're able to settle in upon it. And then the background, if you have a camera, you focus in on it. And the things around it begin to become blurry. The object becomes clear. And it reminds me so much... I'm going to sing a little bit, but it it reminds me so much of an old hymn about turning your eyes upon Jesus. And so it goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's such a wonderful thing to just stop and praise our Lord. And it helps our situation to fade, to become blurry. That things don't look as bad, don't look as difficult. Because we're focusing on the one who cares for us, the one who saves us, the one who cherishes us. And that's one of the amazing things that God has gifted us in the ability to praise him. Because God does not need our praise. Need is for creatures. Need is for his creation. But he wants and he desires for It helps to foster our relationship with him. It causes our hearts to be changed. That's one of the amazing things God has given us about praising him. And we're going to see David's tone and language just keeps getting better and better as he praises God. So getting on to verse 15 and 16. So in verse 15, it says, My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day. For their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. So as he talks right here of God's deeds being past his knowledge. There's a passage from Job. 26. And if you know anything about Job, Job is going through dark times, going through troubling times. And he says something amazing about just who he is. And so Job 26, verse 11 through 14. So it says, the pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, These are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? It's amazing that even as we have the scriptures, even as God has revealed himself, there's still so much that we're going to be able to learn and enjoy about him in heaven. When we are redeemed, when all things are made new. And that's an encouragement for us that what he has done is inexhaustible that we will never run out of reasons to keep praising him. There will be never a time when we cannot still learn much from scripture. There are many people who have spent many years of their lives just going over passages. How much more the entire Bible. And so that's a beautiful thing that God is inexhaustible. We will never exhaust. We will never exhaust the ability to just keep praising him more and more and more. And so we see David praising God for this. And then in verse 16, he says, with the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. So when we read this, I know it's easy to think of the Pauline way of righteousness, but he's not talking about that particularly here. More so what he's getting at is God of being just and upright in his character. And that's the righteousness that he's talking about. And the reason why he's telling of God's righteousness and his alone is because God is faithful to his promises by cherishing, defending, and delivering his people. And so he's appealing and saying, I'm going to tell people of how God is true to what he says. This is what he's going to praise about. This is what he wants the next generation to know, which we're going to start looking at in the verse 17 and 18. So let's jump into 17 and 18. So it says, O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So, even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. In verse 17, he just reiterates again that God has taught him from his youth. He's proclaiming who God is. And then in verse 18, he talks about getting older, and he does not want God to forsake him. And it's interesting of why he does this, because he says, Not, hey, can you let me kick back on the beach? Can you let me retire and and get new hobbies? I just want to relax. I'm getting old. I just want to go sit to the side. But it's amazing of what David's retirement plan is. His retirement plan is he wants to continue to work for the Lord. He wants to continue to proclaim who God is and what he's done to the next generation. And this is so important for us as believers because many heresies and problems and issues in the church is based off of two things. It's off of misunderstanding of who Christ is and what he's done. And so this is important for David. He wants to proclaim who God is and what he's done to the next generation because he sees that as so crucial to the faith of Israel. We see that also so crucial to the church today. So that is one of the benefits of having those who have been in the faith for a longer time, who have spent time knowing the Lord, who have spent time serving him, have seen him work in their lives, but also for those of us who are younger, can we also do these same things of proclaiming to the next generation? And yes, we can, because age is just not about the number, but it's primarily about the experience and wisdom that has been gained through time. Just because you're older doesn't mean that we're wiser, and just because you're younger, it doesn't mean that you're not smart enough or able to speak, but it's about the experience and wisdom that we have learned with the Lord the call for us today, as we seek to apply this to us in this time, it's a call for discipleship. It's a call for the church to have a mind and heart to care for the next generation. And I know often two of the main problems that we see when it comes to pouring into other people, telling them of who God is and what he's done, can be either time or people. The first one being of with time, often we'll say we just don't have the time. Our lives are so busy, there's so much stuff going on, I just don't have the time. So I'll give you an example of something that can be helpful and useful. And I learned it actually from a lady named Rosario Butterfield, who has a wonderful book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And one of the things that she did which was so interesting was she would often bring some of the younger women into her home. She would let them help her with laundry, taking care of the kids, cooking dinner, whatever it was. But what she did was she took the busyness of her life and invited other people into it. So instead of saying she didn't have the time to sit for long hours at a coffee shop talking, She brought them into her family. She brought them into her life. They were able to observe, to see how she cared for her children. And the same thing we can do that with guys, that we can bring other guys along us as we're running errands or whatever it may be. But the point of it all is seeking to pour into the next generation and not using the busyness of life as an excuse. But what about for those of us who are younger, who desire to be mentored or discipled for an older believer, and they haven't come alongside us? I would encourage you also, go to them. If you see somebody who is praising God and you enjoy their character and you see that they love the Lord, go to them and say, hey, listen, I enjoy what I've seen the Lord doing in your life. Can you teach me? Can you come alongside me? And taking that upon ourselves to be cared for by those who know the Lord and who have spent much time with him. So either if you're older pouring to younger or younger seeking from the older, the goal is for all of us to be pouring into one another. And so that is the question for us, is do you seek to disciple the next generation? Do you care that the next generation knows about Christ, that they know who he is and what he's done? That is what David is getting at here in verse 18. And then he continues on what he's going to speak more of. So again, he praises God in verse 19 and in 20. So he says, your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? you who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again from the depths of the earth. You will bring me up again. So shortly in verse 19, he continues to praise him and asks a rhetorical question. And that rhetorical question sets up what he's talking about in verse 20. And so here David is calling out saying, his, the Lord has allowed him to see troubles and calamities. So he doesn't say it's somebody else. It was some other issue, but he attributes it rightly to the Lord because he's saying it is under the sovereign hand of the Lord that he has gone through these difficulties. And here, David is showing us his confidence in God because he knows you are the one who has allowed me to go through these things, so I know you will be the one to bring me out again. David is reflecting upon his past. He's saying, I've gone through difficulties and been revived. I've gone through troubles, and you have brought me up again. I've seen you do this in my past. I know you will not stop doing it now. And that's what comes with just experience. It comes with experience of knowing the Lord, of walking with him, of knowing that, that difficult situation, of feeling like you can't pay that bill, or feeling like, what are you going to do for work, or how are you going to get that next meal, or whatever that situation may be. After time and time again of seeing the Lord come through, it brings a certain level of peace to not be as overwhelmed. And we see David here. That's what he rests in as he proclaims this. That you've done this in the past, you will do it again. And he says again in in verse 21, you will increase my greatness and comfort me again. Just reiterating what we've been talking about, that the Lord will restore him. And even if it wasn't in this lifetime, he knows the Lord will restore him after. And that is the hope of the believer. No matter what situation we go through, no matter what difficulty, trouble, calamity, whatever it is, the Lord will restore us at some time. And we can hope and trust in him despite how hard and difficult certain circumstances may be. Now we come to the peak, the final passage, as we look at 22 through 24. Starting in 22, it says, I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteousness. Your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. So as I said, this is the beautiful David making these vows of praise to God, how he's going to praise God. So in 22, he's going to praise him with music because of his faithfulness. In 23, he's going to use his lips to sing of his redemption. And in 24, he's going to praise him because he has brought victory over his enemies and though we get to do this on an individual basis, there's something just amazing about coming together and doing this corporately, of praising God for all the stuff that he's done, praising God for how he has delivered his people, praising God together as we see his faithfulness. And as we're going to get to do that in a moment, there's some stuff that I want to think about before we get to sing our last song. So as we come to this conclusion, there may going to pass it up on screen. We're going to go through two of them. So Psalm 149 and Colossians 2. So the first one's going to be Psalm 149 verses 1 through 4. So let us look at some of the language that scripture gives about praising God. So Psalm 149 starting in verse 1 it says, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in its maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing. Make melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. The psalmist is calling us to praise God with everything, with music, with dancing, with shouting for joy. And often, especially with those last two of dancing and shouting for joy, we can get in our own heads and get uncomfortable. We can start to think, well, what is the other person going to think about me singing or dancing or whatever it may be? So we can feel uncomfortable about these things. Or we have the sense of we have a really bad voice like myself. <laughs> and we can fear, well, my voice isn't beautiful. Well, it doesn't sound like the next person. But we see, what does he say to sing? He doesn't sing, say sing with beauty, but sing with joy. It's about the heart that matters in our singing. It can be vain. There's plenty of times the scripture talks about people praising them with their lips, but their heart is far from him. And so the singing that is desired, the shouting, is with joy. So whether you can sing well, whether it's beautiful or not, sing with joy for what God has done. And then the last one of dancing. I know it's one, another one where it may feel uncomfortable, but there's a passage in um, 2 Samuel 6, 21 through 22, that I want you guys to turn to and see. As David, as he was praising God, as the ark was returning, and it says that David was dancing with all his might. <laughs> I laughed when I thought of that imagery, like what dance moves was David doing? And he was so excited. <laughs> but it says that he was doing this with all his might. But down in verses 21 through 22, we see how his wife tries to rebuke him and his, his response is in 21. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be a base in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I should be held in honor. So that's another one of those challenges. We you feel like it's not dignified to be shouting or praising God or even two-stepping a little bit. <laughs> but the reality is, as David says, is God has chosen me what he's done. I can't help but celebrate. I can't help but praise him. And that's the reality that if we think about it, we do it in other circumstances. Many of us love sports. It's Sunday, want to watch football, and I can count on it. There will be many of us who will get excited, who will be shouting for joy at whatever the competition is. And so it's not that we don't have the ability. It's not that we can't get excited about things. It's often that we try to restrict ourselves. And I know this very much personally, and God really convicted me of this as I was going through this, of just why are we so afraid? Why are we so afraid to shout for how amazing and just celebrate what God has done for us? Don't be afraid to raise your hands and shout for joy as we praise him. We're going to close out with our last passage in Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15. But as we close in this passage in Colossians, and we see a David as he called out to God and he praised God for saving him from his enemies. And we see often in the Old Testament that there are realities that are seen, that there are things that foreshadow greater realities in the New Testament. And we're going to see one of these here, that David had real physical enemies, and often we will not be threatened for our lives for Christ. But we do have spiritual enemies, and we see how Christ has conquered these enemies. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, to see how Christ has done the same thing that we see David attributing God doing for him. Colossians 2, starting in verse 13, and it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them In him. And this is what we celebrate. We celebrate what Jesus has done, that by the blood of his cross, we can celebrate and we put our faith and trust in him. This is the amazing and good news that we have. And we see that he has not changed, that he still is saving his people despite their frailties, despite their troubles. He does not forsake them, he still will save them. And the response for us is to praise him more and more and more and more all of the days of our life. And let us close in prayer. Lord, what an amazing thing that we get to see. We get to see you reveal yourself through your word, that you have brought clarity and comfort. You brought truth to our lives. And so this morning, we praise you. Lord, help us, Lord. Help us in our praise. Help us to not be so despondent. Help us to not be so downcast, but lift our voices to you, that you enjoy this, Lord. You enjoy seeing your people praise you, Now, we may not do it just to be seen or heard, but we do it because we are celebrating. We are celebrating our holy God, who is like no other. So we celebrate you today, Lord Jesus, that you have nailed our debt, our sin to the cross, that you have revived and saved us. You have put to shame those who would seek to attack us. Therefore, we have comfort, we have refuge, and you are our redeemer that we trust and praise. Amen.